Tammy Dawn Duncan Nick was murdered on March 25th, 2015, and this is her mother's story. Hi, Kelly. Hi. I don't know. I don't know. I, this stuff, I don't know nothing about no phone, and I don't even know what a podcast is, and I'm probably going to keep you on there way too long. I'm about gave up on this shit. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. White County, Arkansas in 2015 had a population of about 77,000. It is an alcohol prohibition or dry county, although a few private establishments do have permission to sell alcohol. This county is named after Hugh Lawson White from Tennessee, Whig candidate for presidency. The White County Courthouse, built in 1871, is said to be the oldest courthouse in Arkansas. It has an elaborate clock tower that resembles the Liberty Bell. In December, this courthouse looks absolutely majestic when it is decorated for the Christmas Festival of Lights. This old, beautiful building, twinkling with its brightly lit lights, draws tourists to the area during this festive time of year. This courthouse has many statues and monuments dedicated to the veterans from World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. Each soldier's name is inscribed on one of the monuments, while others are in honor of the Confederate soldiers and those from the Vietnam War. The first resident in this county, his home was where justice was meted out using his house as their first courthouse. Eventually, a log building was built on donated land and used until eventually the Georgian building was constructed and still stands on this same lot. There have been additions and a reconstruction due to fire. However, justice is still served here. Well, sometimes it is served. It is apparent that Tammy has still not been given the justice she deserves. The long history of this courthouse would seemingly be a place that serves its community with honor and pride. A building that stands stoically honoring their veterans who fought for this county's citizens' freedom. A building that stands for justice. This building brimming with those who have the power to bring justice to those that have committed offenses with the power to bring Tammy's family justice. This building sits quietly though and Tammy's family feels that silence with every breath they take. Tammy's mother Kathy is still fighting to get justice for her precious daughter. This case was never really investigated 
Tammy was married to a man whose brother was the chief of the fire department and his father was the chief of the fire department for 40 years before that. Their family is well embedded into the community. As Kathy, Tammy's mother is so distraught over the circumstances of her daughter's death, she has support with her today. Amy from Parents of Murdered Children. Parents of Murdered Children does so much good and today you can see how they go above and beyond for their members. Thank you, Amy, for being here today and helping another survivor tell her story. You are appreciated. Arkansas is considered by both of these parents who have lost children to homicide to be a good old boy state. And this is the story of Tammy Don Duncan Nix murder. I can't even believe that people can actually listen to us and watch that and, and not do anything. On our face. And not do anything. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. So, like, you have been an angel since because I have done everything I can to help Kathy. And it's really hard when you live in a good old boy state because it's, it's mainly, like, who you know around here and how long you've lived here and what county you're from and who's who and that kind of stuff. And it's unfortunate that it's like that, but it is. Amy has been helping Kathy to get justice. They work tirelessly gathering evidence, speaking to many different law enforcement agencies and the coroner, pleading with people to please take a look and investigate this case. Let's hear about Tammy and the many challenges that she endured during her life that was cut short when she was shot and killed in the sanctuary of her own home. What was Tammy like as a child? What what was what type of uh, of a um, child was she I, like? She she got bit. It's going to be forty years Monday Labor Day. She got bit by a pit bull, but I never thought she was going to die at all. I mean, she she stayed in the hospital three months on and off, had thirteen operations, and had over three thousand stitches. And that's when she made this coming Labor Day. She would have. I guess she would have been seven then because she's going to turn 47, I think. And uh, she was full rotten after that. Her head got the size of a basketball. I mean, that dog just took her up, shook her and everything. So she got full. So she was a little wicked sometimes. I didn't, my husband at the time didn't smoke, and I did. And he says, Tammy's been smoking in the shed. And I didn't believe him, so I took up for Tammy, and yes, she was smoking in the shed. She <laughs> lied to me right to my face. I'm not kidding you. Let me tell you about the time I got a phone bill, and it was that psychic number. <laughs> she swear up and down. I made her put her hand on the Bible and look me in the eyes and say, you tell me you did not do this, Tammy. She did it. And I called these people, said, I didn't do this. Well, we can tell you who did. They played a recording and said who it was. My name is Tammy Duncan, and I'm 18 years old. And I made I was the manager at the B then, and I made her come in the office. And I called that number, and she heard her voice, and tears started coming down her eyes. I'm sorry, Mama. They said it was free the first three minutes, but you don't get to talk to that woman. And she talked to her for a long time. It was about $800. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. $800, that's all, oh, that must have been terrible. And I got to record where it was her. She swore and looked me in the eyes, you know, but it was that dog bite. She was sick for so, 
kids used to bark at her, come up behind her and growl and bark. Bless her heart, she, she had to wear a bandana because they had to shave her head. In the back of her head, they had to put skin on it. She had a big, big, oh, man, how big is that? Where no hair would grow, but her mouth was never straight again. She couldn't smile because he bit through the, the bang that goes through her smile. But that was Tammy after that. And then she even joined a, a pageant and looked really, really good. Yeah. That must have been so scary, though, when, when that happened, that uh, that dog incident. Oh, yes, it was. She was one of the first people in Arkansas that got mauled by a pit bull. Tammy was a fighter. She had spunk and wasn't easily discouraged, nor did she give up without a fight. She lived through being bullied by her peers. Tammy had a son, and he brought her so much joy. She loved him and enjoyed being a mother. Tammy also had a close relationship with her mother and grandmother. They were all always in close contact and communicated often and freely, enjoying each other's time together. Tammy was a newlywed. Before her wedding, she told her father that she was so excited to be getting married. She wanted a life that was settled and secure. She was excited to build a home and a life with the man she loved and wanted to spend her days with each of them making the other happy, having fun times. And what she really wanted was to live happily ever after. This would not be the case. Although Tammy was a strong and independent woman, her new husband began to show controlling qualities and there were signs of abuse. Their relationship was definitely tumultuous. On several occasions, Tammy's husband strongly encouraged her to ask her mother for money from an inheritance she had received. And although Tammy's mom had given them cash and paid for vacations, he was continuously on his wife to ask for more, which began to cause a shift in this mother-daughter relationship. Tammy's mother was not going to support them. She had to begin to say no to these demands. Tammy's husband was not happy about this. Controlling behavior seemed to become a large part of their marriage. On the night Tammy died, she had called her grandmother during the day to say that while she was out in the garden, she had lost her engagement ring. She told her grandmother that she was afraid to tell her husband. Having a brother-in-law as the chief of the fire department, and her husband was the mechanic for the police department, giving them both status in the community. This gave Tammy cause for concern, as she knew how they all treated each other and looked out for each other. She was clearly afraid of the ramifications that came with letting him know about this mistake. Later that same day, Tammy's mother got a very distressing phone call. Tell me about the terrible day that you found out that uh, your daughter had been murdered. What, what? How was that day? Where were you and what happened? It was a night. It was a night and I was in bed and one of my girlfriends called. She lives out there and she says, Kathy, something's going on over at Tammy's. And I said, what do you mean? She says, there's cops. So then your friend called you and told you that this was happening over at her place. And now you're thinking, oh, no, she's killed him because he was abusive. What did you do next after after you got that phone call? What did you do next? I called her son. 
and he says, I, I know, man, as people have been calling me, I said, will you go out there? And uh, he said, I'm on my way. Tammy's husband decided to call his brother, the chief of the fire department, to his house. His wife was lying there suffering, still alive, after being shot in the head, and he did not call 911. He called his brother. He was claiming that Tammy shot herself. While his wife was lying there suffering, he gathered up all of his many guns and hid them, including the gun that killed Tammy. While speaking with his brother, he asked, what did you do after Tammy was shot? And the husband said, I moved the guns and the gun that killed her. And his brother told him to go put the gun that killed her back. So he did. He went and lay it on Tammy's chest, claiming that is where he moved it from. His brother arrived on the scene. Other first responders were also arriving. His brother never logged in when he first arrived on the scene, even though that is the first thing that is supposed to be done. He only logged in after going home and then returning. You can see people in the videos from the first responders' cameras milling around, in and out of view. And clearly, you see Tammy's husband changing his clothes. The first thing he did, he heard the dogs barking. He didn't hear the gunshot. He got up, and he seen that she had a little bit of blood on her mouth. That's what he told my mama. Then he told everybody. He gathered up the guns and went next door to get the guy to help him hide his rifles. He's a first aid responder, and so is his brother, the chief of the uh, fire department. He never touched her. He never told the guy how to say hid the guns first. And there were five cameras there, too. If I'm a federal felon and I had a camera right on top of the refrigerator, I would say, look at that. That right there uh, tell you what what happened, and I didn't have nothing to do with it. But he deleted all the cameras the next day. My grandson saw him do it. Um, the brother um, was there and got helped get rid of the guns first. So you don't see him come on the scene until the very end. But he was there before and should have been logged in before. And we have an officer's statement saying when he stepped in the trailer, his brother was the chief of the fire department, was on the telephone. In Tammy's home, there was a lamp that sat beside her. There was no blood splatter on the lampshade. It is clear there should have been, and there is no way Tammy could have taken the lampshade off the lamp and replaced it after she had fatally shot herself. Her cell phone was also found on the kitchen counter on the other side of the house, with a text that was sent after she had been shot and written in a script that was so unlike her own writing. Also, Tammy was right-handed. However, she was shot on the left side of her head at a downward angle. She was shot left left side of her, right above her eye in her temple. And on, the, her, on, her on the left right, side, yeah. I mean on her left side. And so then it your left side. Right, and then it went down because me and her son seen... I seen. I asked funeral guy what, and he said that's where they took the bullet out. It, and it says it in the crime lab report. It's lower her right ear. So it went at an uh, angle. It was at an angle, and it was going straight down and out her ear. Yeah, no, the lower ear. Her, that's her where they got the rifle bullet out. It was yeah. there. 
And so did you have to go and actually formally identify your daughter's body? No, they said that the White County did that. Um, the, the ambulance people, I mean, the the, tele- the helicopter people wouldn't tell me nothing. The hospital wouldn't tell me nothing. But um, it says on the paperwork that the White County officer is the one that identified her. I'd like to know who and uh, what right does somebody tell them to not do an autopsy. I looked at one picture of this lab, the crime, the whatever it is, Amy, coroner's office. She didn't have no skull on half of her head, and my child lived for two and a half hours after he shot her. If that's not a cry saying, I didn't do this, you know, I don't want to die. How brave was that baby? She was an extremely brave girl. She suffered and held on as long as she could. With the lack of cooperation Kathy received, she turned to the parents of murdered children to have a look at the case to make sure she wasn't missing something obvious. She wanted an unbiased, third-person account that she could also use to get some sort of forward momentum on her daughter's murder investigation. Here is Amy from Parents of Murdered Children explaining some of the findings from their experts. From the Second Opinion Service, from the National Organization of Parents of Murdered Children, they stated um, when they sent something back that all unattended death scenes need to be considered a crime scene and handled as such until positive proof exists to counter that need. And um, they said the officers on the scene took the weapon before photographing it or completing a diagram of the position of the pistol. The location of the pistol is inconsistent with the alleged actions of Mr. of Miss Nick. And then a trajectory, uh, yes, trajectory path investigation should have been completed as well as a blood spatter analyst. So said it is unclear if signs of life were determined by responder EMS, which would have necessitated the removal and transport of Miss Nick to a medical facility. This would have been the only reason the body should have been removed prior to the complete scene investigation by a coroner. EMS personnel were never identified. None they of them were ever in. interviewed. They was not on the tape at all. Um, the DVD we got is only first aid responder fire people yes. I, I know that i went and looked at the EMS people's uniforms they didn't come in i guess the fire chief his brother told him not to come in they did all the the uh fire first responders was only ones there and they're the ones that told that guy to hold his, his head up and, and uh they just they just i don't know why they didn't come in but they're signed in on the paper that they're there but I, I can tell you that his brother went and got them guns out of the ditch, took them home, and he come back. And on the second tape, he's there with his girlfriend. On the SOS, they also say officers did not check with uh, Miss Nick's personal physician to rule out severe depression, suicidal thoughts, or heavy medication. Officers did not check if Miss Nick had made specific suicidal statements of her history mm-hmm. or depression. This says a gun uh, shot residue GSR test was not obtained from either yeah, Nick, neither one. Tammy was murdered at 9.30 p.m. The investigation that took place 
lasted only a few hours. Four hours. The text message that was sent allegedly by Tammy to her son at 9.32 p.m., two minutes after she was killed, said, Remember, I will always love you. And it was signed off with, Love, Mom. Something Tammy never did. Ever. He knew it was his mother as she was in the contact list. She need not say love mom and never did. The cell phone was found on the kitchen counter in the next room. Her husband was a federal felon, but was never brought in for questioning, still to this day. Even though the case is considered active, no one has been questioned. Not friends, not family, not her husband. No one. The original paperwork that was signed on the case stated that at 1.29 a.m. the case was closed without any investigation. Kathy has copies of this original report. When she later asked for copies of the same report, the status was changed to active. The fire chief, brother to Tammy's husband, had closed the case originally. And while he was signing these papers back at his office, a bonfire was going on at Tammy's house. Tammy was airlifted to a hospital, struggling for her life. Several doctors were performing emergency, life-saving procedures on her. And less than two hours after she had been shot, her husband invited friends over, and they began to party. They stood out back around this bonfire, drinking and smoking. Then they went inside and dragged out the couch that his wife had been sitting on when she was murdered, and they stood around watching it burn as well, with no concern for how his wife was doing. Was she suffering? Had she survived? So callous. So cold. So disturbing. Tammy's mom, Kathy, has to fight every day with these thoughts. The lack of concern the local authorities have shown to her. The lack of investigating that is going on. The fact that her ex-son-in-law is still living his life. How can this be? So heartbreaking and disturbing. It is maddening and frightful to think of the power authorities can have. To prove that they went to the his brother, the chief of his fire department, and the detective in charge went to the crime lab the very next day. They told him not to do an autopsy. There, everybody. I did. I thought judges were supposed to be true. I thought cops were here to protect you, not to hurt you and lie to you. And and oh my gosh, everybody that even the FBI, I, I think, what the hell is going on? Why isn't anybody getting this federal felon? Tammy's son has been struggling terribly since his mother's murder as well. He looks to his grandmother for support, so Kathy tries her best to help him. He is part of Tammy, and she wants to be there for him and to get justice for her daughter and his mother. She wrestles with the emotions and thoughts that haunt her every day. They both cherish the memories they have. However, holding on to any type of memory trying to find joy in them, 
is something that is hard for them to do. Because along with their grief, they have to keep fighting for justice. Kathy, with Amy's help, is working diligently, and they won't stop until Tammy can rest in peace. Oh my gosh. I, her birthday was in June, and I went out there, and I had my telephone with the music that I liked, and I laid down on her grave because it was such a starry night or full moon, and I got to laughing. I was crying before that, but when I laid down on her grave, I started laughing, and I said, okay, Tammy, I hear you. What's the funniest story that ever happened? I did so many things to that girl. There was a tornado coming from to our house one day. She lived, her and her son lived with me out on 64, and she called me outside, and, and he, it looked like the twilight zone twirling. I said, run in the house, Tammy, and get get dusted. And I said, get in the hall. She said, what do I do now? And I said, bend over. And she said, what do I do now? And I said, kiss your hands goodbye because it is a tornado. And she said, Mom, put this in there. I just wish people would write to the prosecuting attorney of White County, Arkansas, Becky McCoy, and say open this case back up maybe if we get enough of people saying that they they will have to and i thank you so much thank you so much i just don't want them to to bury her under the rug she's been through too much hell and i gotta talk for her and it's gonna kill me i got high blood pressure because i'm up and down up and down roller coasters If you would like to send a letter to the prosecutor for White County to help Kathy, the contact information is in the show notes. Kathy is very thankful to her mother for the support and the cupcakes she brings, as well as Amy. As Kathy knows, she would have an even bigger challenge trying to navigate the system in her quest for justice alone. Kathy is strong and willful and determined. She is a fighter. Keep it up, Kathy. Your tenacity and resolve is needed to make someone wake up and get to work. Associations should not make people turn a blind eye to any crime, but particularly not to murder. Being the brother of the fire chief, the son of the former fire chief, and the guy who works on the police department's cars shouldn't give someone a free pass. An investigation has to be done, regardless of who you know. This case is supposedly active, so why isn't anyone working on it? Best of luck, and thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate it. I'm so glad to meet you, and thank you. I thank God that you've come in our life. I really do. I feel a lot better today. I really do. Oh, well, that touches my heart and makes me feel really happy that I could be here for you, Kathy. I'm I'm really oh, happy to God hear that. Bless, God bless you. You're an angel in my book. Well, thank you. And thank you so much again. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families 
be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.